Welcome to Mad Lit Musings, a podcast with Jamie Jo Wright, where we go deeper and ask the tough and dangerous questions. Today's episode is sponsored by Ravel and Bethany House Publishers, which are divisions of Baker Publishing Group. Find out more at bakerpublishinggroup.com. Good morning or afternoon or evening whenever you're listening to this podcast of Mad Lit Musings. This is Jamie Jill Wright, and today I have Kate Breslin with me. Hi, Kate. Hi there, Jamie. How are you? I'm good. It's so good to have you on the podcast because you have a great new release coming out. So we have a lot to talk about today. All right. I'm ready. All right. Let's get going. So um, first of all, for readers who don't know you, which would be shocking, but you know, that happens. I'm yeah. sure not everyone knows who Kate Breslin is. Tell us just a little bit about yourself. Well, I write historical fiction, uh, currently World War I, World War II, uh, romantic fiction for Bethany House Publishers. And my first book came out in 2014. That was World War II for such a time. Uh, it was a story, a retelling of the story of Esther set in a Nazi uh, Nazi environment because I saw a lot of similarities between the book of Esther and what was going on in the right. Holocaust during World War II. And since then, I have written, uh, well, five more books. My sixth novel, which is the World War One, and part of a five book connecting series. They, they are standalone, but they can, you know, they can be read either way. And it's called In Love's Time, and it will be out December 13th, and I'm very excited about that. I've been writing for about 30 years. Uh, I've always I've always done writing. I've written poetry and, and that sort of thing, but I really didn't get into novel writing until I got into my 30s. And then uh, I was a voracious reader, and I decided to try writing my own. It wasn't as easy as I thought, and it just took me a lot of years before... Um, you know, God pointed me in the right direction and opened the doors for me and I got started. I live on a little bay uh, about an hour northwest of Seattle and I'm looking at it now and it's the snow out there. And <laughs> I have a husband of 45 years. Next awesome. Year. He's still That's my great. best friend. It makes me laugh. And a grown son who lives uh, nearby and we have a grandson that just turned 18. So Wow. Oh, I'm uh, I'm getting up there, <laughs> but I'm young and hard. <laughs> and uh, I've lived in a lot of places. I was born in Florida. I have lived in. I I figured it out one time. I've lived in 39 different cities or places oh, wow. throughout my life. My dad worked uh, subcontractor for government, okay. and so we had to move every year. And I always moved in the middle of the school year, which was very difficult for. Oh, a little that's bit. tough. Yeah. It is. And I think that's why I became became an introvert and buried my nose in Nancy Drew books all the time. Right. So yeah. that that lent credence to my career later, right? Right. So, right. Yeah. At least let at least Nancy Drew stayed consistent with you and in, in spite of all the moves. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, it's super cool because um I'm looking at the covers of your book right here while we're talking and they're all extremely gorgeous but I love the fact that we've got the early 1900s which I dabble in writing sometimes too with some of my um, gothic mysteries and every now and then it dawns on me while I'm writing in that time period that oh yeah there was also a world war going on because I think about how many historical like romances or even mystery like I do 
and such. We love that time period. But so often we ignore the fact that over the seas, there was a war going on that the United States did eventually get involved in, I believe. I'm rusty on World War I. Yeah, no, the, the United States wanted to stay neutral uh, mm-hmm. in that war, just like they did in the Second World War. <laughs> Didn't work so well. Um, <clears throat> but while Britain, you know, Britain and the other allies were fighting the central powers, but what um, basically what triggered is you probably are familiar with the ship La Lusitania that yeah. sank back in 1915. Well, there were some mm-hmm. American passengers on that and that caused some outrage. Now, the truth behind that is, is that that cruise ship was actually carrying munitions. And that's mm. why the U-boats attacked it. But that's kind of trivia. But the right. other thing was there was a uh, Zimmerman telegram. And basically what that was is the Germans had infiltrated Mexico and okay. tried to make a deal with Mexico that if you go in and attack the U.S., you can have, you know, Texas and I think New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we want your support. Well, somebody right. got telegram the british did actually got a hold of the telegram showed it to the u.s and that was kind of the nudge that pushed us into the war in april of 1917 and you know i'm going to tell you a quick story here antidote while i was writing my uh book far side of the sea uh, my mother had asked me to check on her uncle who had been in the war and i i found out after some research that my great uncle George had been in World War One, and he was wounded in Verdun, and he received the Purple Heart posthumously, you know, later. Oh, yeah. And he actually, they're part of the Wisconsin Natural National Guard because hey. I'm, my maternal side is all Wisconsin. Hey, and, um, they they were sent by Woodrow Wilson down to the border to defend it against Pancho Villa and the rebels back then. Okay. And anyway, so, and they're part of a famous brigade that actually helped Britain win the war in World War I. So, wow. That's so that was cool. Like real history. Yeah. After yeah. I've been writing about World War I for several years. So, right, right. And then you find you have that family connection to the history. That's, that's pretty cool. I, I like that. I like that. So, the release that's coming out in Love's Time um, looks like it's set in Russia. Am I correct? uh part of it is yes okay all right so tell us a little bit about that story because that looks like it's full of intrigue and romance and all kinds of cool historical stuff well it's kind of it's bookending my very first world war world war one book which is not by sight uh the characters from not by sight are in this book but like i said they can both be read separately sure um but this is the story of marcus weatherford he has been the connecting character in each of the five books and this is his adventure and he has to go to Russia on a secret mission because there was a sighting of the, um, the czar was murdered in 1917, the czar of Russia, when okay. the Bolsheviks took over the country. Okay, that's really right. Yep. And after that, the uh, Russians, who always like to give out as little information as possible, uh, said that the family had been moved to a safe location. Well, Britain's MI6 looked for them and they couldn't find them anywhere. This is real stuff I'm telling you now. Okay, yep. And uh, so it was a long time. It was actually several months later before the world found out that, you know, all of them had, they they supposed had been killed. They had a couple of eyewitnesses that saw them taken to Ekaterinburg and, and mm-hmm. killed them. So during the period of time I write about, though, they didn't know for sure. And there were sightings. There were sightings of Alexei, the Tsarevich, okay. the and there mm-hmm. were also uh, sightings of the uh, Empress Alexandra, who is actually Queen Victoria's granddaughter. 
Right. They were all interrelated. So I played on that. And, and so he sent on this mission and it has uh, surprising consequences. I don't want to give away the spoiler on that. Right. Right. No spoilers. (laughs) But when he comes back, his, um, the woman that he loves, Claire, uh, has seen him with another woman and mm. feels betrayed. So anyway, the whole story, there's intrigue. It's I play a little more on romance than I have mm-hmm. on my last couple of books because I okay. figured the poor guy has worked, you know, espionage for the last four books. He needs a romance. He needs some love in his life, the poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's really about, it's really about um, if I was to say, it's about second chances. It's about okay. um, deciding what's important in life. Mm-hmm. And it's about trusting God, trusting God all the way. And yeah. one of the one of the uh, the themes that is in the story is uh, it's you know trusting God with all your heart and leaning not on your own understanding, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and yeah. uh, submit to Him in all things, and He'll keep your path straight or straighten your path out. And yeah. and yeah. so that that plays into the story as well. But okay, oh, awesome. That's that's such a great verse. It's always a hard one to. Um... Oh yeah. Do though. <laughs> I don't know why it is because it seems like when we do trust the Lord with all our heart, things tend to iron themselves out as he promises. And yet where I'm in, I guess I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for you, but <laughs> I'm always fighting for control. <laughs> oh, I am. I am. I, um, I recently did a couple of keynote addresses down in Oregon and I, I just spoke from the heart. I just told him my story and one of the things was I used to be in my other career. I was a corporate manager in the mm. construction industry and uh, I was a boss and I was used to getting things my, you know, getting things yeah. done, getting things done my way. And so I was very, you know, assertive that way. And right. So, um, I can't, I, I came back to my faith slowly and mm-hmm. that was, that was a real hard thing for me not to grab it back from God and take control. Yeah, I still, I still have to work on that too. But you're absolutely right. If you really trust, and I really experimented with that when I did some traveling recently, and I had some glitches come up, and I just take a breath, be still, trust, and it all worked out. It yeah. really does work out. It's when you yeah. try to get in there and mess it up that it gets worse sometimes. So, mm-hmm. or you just, you know, you experience needless anxiety or needless worry that really kind of saps you of the energy and the inner peace that you could have if you just rested in the Lord. And I'm not saying you sit back and just go, oh, here, do nothing. But at the same time, as you're moving forward, just being able to grab onto the Lord and his promises. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I have this little thing I tell myself, bend like a reed or break like a stick. Ooh, that's t-shirt worthy. Yeah, you put that on a T-shirt. I like that. Because sometimes you have to do that, you know. Yeah. Let it, let it be, you know, as Uh the old Beatles song goes, and uh, just let it happen. You know, sometimes it is out of our control, and we just have to accept that. Yeah, yeah, we do, we do, and it's and it's sometimes painful, and I think that's why sometimes, too, it feels like it's out of control, and we're grasping for control because for the Lord to straighten the path, sometimes he still asks us to go through the pain mm-hmm. and it's going through that painful journey or that trial or the unknowns that you're like, wait, maybe he's not as in control as I thought he was, or this isn't where I want to be. And so it's like the self-preservation or something that kicks in. And I'm like, ah, yeah, no, that's true. I, that's true. And you know, we, I, I kind of, I think everything does happen for a reason. Yeah. 
And sometimes it's not really about us. It might be about someone else that's close to us or a situation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that, I mean, because God always wants the best for us always. Right. So, right. you know, but it's, it's, it's that letting go and yes. Saying, yes. Okay. Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. The letting go. <laughs> so how does that work in your character's lives in this book? So um, oh, they have a tell us a little bit about it. <laughs> You're one of those authors, right? Who's like, ooh, how can I make oh, my character's I, lives I miserable? Oh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, well, they got to work for it. You know, they do have to work for it. We all have to work for yes. Uh, we all have to work for love. We have to work for happiness. We have to work mm -hmm. for those things. It doesn't just happen. And a lot of that has to do with how we think, what our attitude is. Mm -hmm. um, how accepting we are um you know you think about how god loves us and and we can't even imagine i mean really right we don't have any clue on how much we are loved and right. as beings we have all these conditions that we put on each other mm -hmm. and expectations we put on each other and so kind of explore that and uh just you know again it goes back to trust yeah, yeah. sounds great so, yeah. well let's take a quick break and then when we come back I want to talk a little bit about uh, Claire, who is a military hospital orderly, because I have a feeling that had some interesting historical research involved. Oh, in it that. does. So let's talk about that when we come back. Are you enjoying today's broadcast with our featured author? You can find out more about them and other authors from Baker Publishing Group at bakerbookhouse.com. Use code MADLIT40 for 40% off any one Baker Publishing Group title at bakerbookhouse.com. This also includes Ravel and Bethany House Publishing. Go over fast. It's MADLIT40. That's your magic code for 40% off any one Baker Publishing Group title. All right, we are back here at Madlit Musings with Kate Breslin. We we're talking about in love's time, and we already tackled some pretty deep subjects about letting go and letting God and um, all that fun stuff about surrender, um, which plays into her characters' lives in in love's time, which comes out really quickly here. So, but before we took a break, I said I wanted to talk about Claire, who's your heroine in the story, because she's a military hospital orderly and. I've read lots of books with like nurses and such from World War II. So I'm just curious what the experience was and what type of research you got to do for World War I. Well, I always like to put in my books, um, my World War I books anyway, I like to put in there in the books, women that did certain things during the war. Uh, just to give you a background, you know, suff the suffragettes were very popular in the late, late, late Victorian and Gilded Age. They were coming mm -hmm. to be. There were some militants, uh, but they really just wanted the vote. They wanted the right to make a decision about their government, not only in Britain, but also in the United States. And <clears throat> they were pretty going pretty hard and heavy by, you know, 1911, 1912. But then the war uh, in Britain broke out in 1914, and they really had to take a back seat. Okay. And um, Emily Pankhurst, who was the, a big name in women's suffrage, saw an opportunity in uh, being patriot. You know, being a patriot, women could be patriots and go out and and help. You know, recruit soldiers, and they could help. You know, in different 
capacities to aid the war. And so mm -hmm. this is kind of a new direction that they took. And so from my first World War I book, Not By Sight, all the way through, I have dealt with uh, Women's Land Army. And originally mm -hmm. it was called the Women's Forage Corps, and they actually bailed hay for the cavalry horses over overseas for the Allies. Wow. Okay. And then uh, various, you know, I've done munition workers, I've done uh, uh, dispatch riders. They actually had mm -hmm. motorcycles back then and they were riding dispatch. Love that. Uh, so a lot of that, you know, and so this book, I, Claire is a nurse and because of her past, it's not easy for her to get a, you know, to get a job. And so uh, basically she came from a poor family. And because of circumstances, she uh, she had a natural child, and so back okay. then that was that was verboten, you know. So right. Right. Uh, she found a means when uh, she finds her daughter again. Her daughter was uh, missing in an early book, and comes to London. And so her friend Grace, who is also the heroine of uh, Not by Sight, okay, helps her to uh, find a job. And there's a hospital. It's called Endell Street. Hot military hospital in London, and it was created in, I believe it was 1915 or 1916. It was an all-woman-run hospital. It was the very first one. Okay. Uh, we're talking women surgeons. Wow. Specialists, lab scientists, orderlies, uh, nurses. They had a handful of men who could not go back to the war, and they would basically drive the ambulances or haul, you know, okay. all stretchers sure. in. But this place was totally run by women. And I was wow. fascinated by this. And I wanted to give you the name of these two women really quickly. Dr. Flora Murray and Dr. Louisa Garrett Anderson. Mm. And they got started. Uh, they wanted to set up a hospital in 1914. Of course, the British men said, oh, no, 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 no. You, know, you can't do that. So right. they bypassed the British government. They went over to France and they opened not one, but two hospitals in France and took care of the wounded over there during the war. They did such a fantastic job and they had such a high um, survival rate mm -hmm. okay, that Britain asked them to come back. In Shocking. 19, <laughs> yes, in 1916, I believe it okay. was and run their military hospital in London because they had, mm. by this time in the war, they had started sending all the soldiers back to Britain to be treated instead of leaving right. their France. Okay. And these, these ladies just had a certain uh, way that they cared for the patient. They had gardens, they had, uh, they really looked at the patient, you know, it wasn't just numbers. Yeah, right. So they yeah. had they, their, you know, their patients flourish. And so she goes to work for them and she starts out in the laundry. And then within several months, she's working with the nurses and she becomes an orderly. And that's how oh. she gets up. But I was just fascinated by this hospital. It's not there anymore, unfortunately. They okay. have a plaque on the wall. It's on Indle Street near uh, Combat Gardens. Okay. London. But uh, I am just so amazed. And, you know, you think about these women doctors, especially in British society, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. you couldn't go to college. Most women didn't go to college or university back then right. and these right. ladies did and they really imagine the hard road they had to tow mm. to to prove themselves right so i just right. love that i just love that empowerment that women that is really cool yeah, yeah. and it, you know it shows that the talents and and gifts that god's given um different people and how they can be overlooked so often and then oh, you think about the success rate of them to be re you know invited back to britain because they're so successful yeah. and 
what stuck out when you said that, I was thinking, I bet you some of it has to do with that internal nurturing that women give that a lot of men aren't, you know, there's some men that are very nurturing, but it's kind of an instinctive womanly thing to mother, to care, to nurture. And I wonder how much that played into their success rate along with their intelligence and expertise. I think absolutely. And, you know, like I said, I read, I read some things about how they differed from some of the other hospitals. And like I said, they had uh, outdoor gardens. They had volunteers come in and do these beautiful gardens, women. Yeah. And so they have a good, nice, they have a very nice, peaceful, quiet setting. Uh, They, they grouped the soldiers together. They didn't keep them isolated. You know, they really turned it into kind of a community family. And you're right. Yeah. That's, that's a nurturing kind of a yeah. concept. And the men thrive. These are young yeah. men who are away oh. from home. You know, their moms and everybody, their families are uh, yeah. miles away. So yes, yeah. I can definitely see how that worked. Yeah, it's interesting. When you say young men, I, as I've gotten old, <laughs> I'm in my 40s now. It's like, what? Um, but no, you know, when I ever, I used to read history or historical novels with World War One, World War Two, or whatever, the men and the soldiers to me always seemed like these mature, heroic males. And now that I'm the age that I am and I'm looking at like my nephew who's, you know, 19 and I'm going, he's just a baby boy. Like he still goes home to mom when he's having trouble or things like that. And he still has that need for for mom or that need for dad. And he hasn't completely graduated, even though he's adult. He hasn't completely graduated into adulthood where you're, you learn to process a lot of that on your own. And so then putting that into a setting like this of the soldiers that were in those hospitals, they really were teenage boys. Really. They really were. They, um, you know, they started out where everybody, everybody clamored to sign up. Like I said, it was, they thought it was a big adventure to go in. They would be out of the war in four months, you know, that they were so arrogant about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, then of course, fast forward another year and a half later, you know, you've got the U-boats, you know, annihilating ships and mm-hmm. things are not going well. And they had to start conscripting uh, soldiers in 1916. And then mm-hmm. pretty soon, I think it was by 1917, they had to, they were even going into the men who were married, you know, the 45 yeah. and, and the older girls yeah. who were married because they're running out of, they're running out of cannon fodder. Out of bodies. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I did some history too on like Germany and some of the other countries and even in Britain, you know, some of these kids were lying to you know, get in. Yes. So you yes. had some kids that were 14, 15, they're, they're boys. They're just boys getting in. Oh. And, uh, or they had 12 year olds or 10 year olds uh, as mascots, but they, they were still there and they were still, they may not, you know, be on the front line fighting, front but they were line. still involved in the war. And that's just, um, Oh my really goodness. Just, well, I have a 10 year old son. So that just brought it into perspective. Like, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I don't want my baby involved in war. So, mm kidding but wow. anyway so the uh i was just going to say that so all the work that the the british women did during the war yeah. and they, they did all kinds of things they were they took over uh, jobs police women fire women uh they yeah. they fixed trains they built tanks they did all kinds of things during world war one and before the war was over they won the vote from parliament Parliament awesome. said, "Hey, yeah. these gals are running this country. They're doing a great mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. Why can't they vote?" So, right, right, and it yeah. happened in America too, not too long. Yeah, after. not too long after. Right, absolutely. Yeah, it's such an interesting time 
And that's where I wish to some degree we had time travel. <laughs> I could go back and, and visit and just see the era that these women lived through that we, I, or I should say, I take for granted now, you know, they're just rights that I assume that I've always been owed, but back mm. in the day they didn't, you know, and the struggles that they went through to, to prove themselves. And then yes, the contribution true. they've given to mankind in history really is huge. Took a lot of courage to do it. It really yeah. did, you know. Yeah. But they had a desire and right. Yeah. right. So I to me that just um I feel very passionate about that. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I think that's awesome. I love it. And I love seeing how the Lord can work with people's mm -hmm. gifts and talents that he's given them and and really create heroines of the faith throughout yeah. history. That's so fun to see. Okay. Kate, this is awesome. So the book is called In Love's Time. It's coming out from Bethany House Publishers here in December. So if you are um, listening to this, you can also get the other books that are set before it, but also standalone. So you don't have to read them in order from what I'm hearing, correct? Correct. You don't right. have to read them in any order. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. So how do readers find out about you and your books and what's the best way to follow you? Probably the best ways to visit my website, which is www.katebreslin.com. And they can uh, take a look at all my books. There are buy links if they're interested there, or they can shop wherever they like. And they can also read excerpts. Uh, if they click on each book, they can actually scroll down to the bottom and there should be an excerpt, like the first 10 or 20 or 30 pages of the novel, if they want to make sure that it's something they want to read. Great. And I have events on that page and they can connect with me on social media from the, from the website. Real easy. It's all in one place. That sounds great. Love it. That's always nice when it's in one place because you don't have to yeah, try to like search all too. over. <laughs> Kate, this has been a blast. I love talking history with you and faith and everything. So let's do it again sometime. Sounds wonderful, Jamie. Thanks for having me. It's been a joy and uh, happy reading everyone. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Madlit Musings. You can find out more information about Madlit and all that it has to offer at madlitmentoring.com. That's madlitmentoring.com. Or check out more about Jamie Jo Wright at jamiewrightbooks.com.